Welcome. Welcome. The misery of misophonia. It's the Improbable Research Podcast. I'm Mark Abrams, editor of the magazine Annals of Improbable Research. This is all about research that makes people laugh, then think. If you like what you hear today, consider supporting us at our website, improbable.com. Every year, we give out 10 Ig Nobel Prizes to honor achievements that make people laugh, then think. The 2020 Ig Nobel Prize for Medicine was awarded to Nienka Vulink, Damien Denise, and Arnaud van Loon for diagnosing a long, unrecognized medical condition, misophonia, the distress at hearing other people make chewing sounds. After the ceremony, the new Ig Nobel Prize winners explain, if they can, what they did and why they did it. Here is the Ig Informal Lecture by Economics Prize winner Damien Denise. Have you ever realized that you make sounds when you breathe or sneeze or when you eat an apple or crisps? Have you ever thought about the fact that those sounds can be annoying to someone else? Did you know that they can be so annoying that the person who is irritated by them wants to hit you or even kill you? I didn't until one day I met that patient. She came on a Tuesday. As always, the secretary referred her to the waiting room. But this time she warned me that the patient was more irritated, more desperate and and angry than others. I thanked her with a smile for pointing the finger. Every secretary is a psychiatrist. And as I strolled to the waiting room, I routinely flipped through the file of the patient. Last week, she had thrown the television through the living room, the doctor noted in a referral letter. As she was my last patient for that day, I had spoken to hundreds of them in the past few years. I knew them, inside and outside, as an expert and researcher in psychiatry should do. I knew their history, their complaints, their despair and their bleak future. I knew the clinical picture, the guidelines and the treatments, the important scientific articles and the latest findings. I read about it and I wrote about it. I thought about it day and night as obsessively as my patients succumbed to their intrusive thoughts and as compulsively as they carried out their pathological rituals. I was the expert of their suffering. I was an expert in obsessive compulsive disorder. And that justified my scientific obsession. Good afternoon, madam. How can I help you? I asked with a friendly smile. And the woman 
small in stature, in her mid-forties, neatly but simply dressed, with sharp, watchful eyes, did not answer my smile. She came straight to the point. When I hear someone sneeze, I get so angry that I want to kill that person. I cannot let go of that thought. Every day I'm constantly working on it. It ruins my life. When someone sneezes, I can no longer hold on. I want to hit, to bite, to scratch. I can't stand the sound. It makes me furious. She started crying. I nervously shoved on my chair. I hadn't heard this before, but I was worried too. All my life I've been suffering from hay fever, and especially in spring, the sneezing can suddenly strike me. I clenched my fist unseen in my trouser pocket, crammed around a paper handkerchief that could hold my body in check. I knew for sure what it, what it wasn't, but not what it was. I understood her suffering, but not her illness. It was not an obsessive-compulsive disorder. I could not help her, and disappointed, she left my consulting room. Now, I became impatient, irritated, desperate and angry, because I did not understand. I was the expert, after all. Nowhere could I place her symptoms, in no syndrome, in no disorder. No matter how I tilted the picture, shifted my gaze or turned my perspective, adapted my vision, there was no disease describing her symptoms. Her riddle became my obsession. And yet I forgot her. For the next day other patients came and others came and the day after so that her case disappeared into oblivion. One day, a friend addressed me in Amsterdam, six years later. Could I help him with a nasty problem his girlfriend had been struggling with for some time? And I agreed. The next day I saw a young, blushing woman. She was ashamed, but began to tell me cautiously, I get these thoughts that I want to strangle my friend. Because of the sound of his breathing, it makes me angry. I like to see him, but we can't lie in a bed together anymore. When I hear him breathing at night, I want to kill him. And she too started to cry. Two women becoming aggressive, hearing other people's sounds irritating them immensely, struggling with loss of control over their feelings because of immense aggression, and finally avoiding any situation where the sound can be heard. That could not be a coincidence. Yet there was nothing in the books. There were no guidelines, no treatments, no scientific articles or latest findings. I walked through the past, looked for clues in forgotten psychiatry books, Maybe I have missed it. We placed an advertisement in our department. And in barely two weeks, 
over 40 patients with the same complaints came forward. We described the clinical picture and defined criteria based on their symptoms. We demarcated the disorder and gave it the name sonophuria, a rage about sounds, human sounds. We suggest that sonophuria should be classified as a discrete psychiatric disorder. Until a co-worker noticed a name that was already in circulation on the internet, misophonia. To avoid confusion, we borrowed the name for our new psychiatric disorder, misophonia. Five years later, at our department, we diagnosed over 2,000 patients and treated more than 1,000 patients. We defined criteria, developed a scale, a mesos. We described the dysfunction in the brain's early auditory processing systems in misophonic patients. We showed in an open trial that behavioral therapy reduced symptoms. Nearly 50% of the patients showed a significant reduction of misophonic systems. We collected brain imaging data and proved that patients engaged brain circuits associated with more cognitive control than normal subjects. We exposed the patients with symptom-provoking audiovisual stimuli, and our results demonstrated that audiovisual stimuli trigger anger and physiological arousal in patients with misophonia, associated with activation of the auditory cortex and the salience network in the brain. Finally, we found structural and functional abnormalities which implicate dysfunction of emotional and attentional systems in misophonic patients. The higher connectivity between the left amygdala and the cerebellum may explain the tendency to exhibit reflex-like physical reactions to triggers, aggressive reactions. We replicated the validity and reliability of our previously defined criteria in our earlier findings in a larger study in over 800 subjects with misophonia. We replicated as well our behavioral therapy trial for misophonia in a randomized clinical fashion. The cognitive behavioral treatment had an observed clinical improvement in nearly 40% of the patients compared to 0-1 in the waiting list group. Misophonia. It is written now about all over the world and some still do not believe the diagnosis. But those who ever heard of their suffering will not forget it. You've been listening, if you've been listening, to a genuine episode of the Improbable Research Podcast. You can see video of Damien Denise giving that IG informal lecture if you go to our website. I invite you to subscribe to the magazine, The Annals of Improbable Research. Six new issues a year, and you can go get yourself some back issues too. Also, you can get lots of details about the Ig Nobel Prizes, upcoming events, what's in the magazine, and about how you can help and be part of it via our Patreon. All of this at our website, improbable.com. It's possible that Seth Glicksman 
is the Improbable Production Assistant. Next time on this podcast, we are going to look at something or other. Until then. Goodbye. 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 <laughs>